Welcome to this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. I'm your host, John Henry Weston, and very pleased to bring to you today Martin Bürger, who is a new journalist at LifeSite News. He's one of our two German journalists, as you know, Dr. Mike Hickson and uh, Martin both hail from Germany. And Martin's going to talk to us today because of the craziness that's going on in Germany right now. As most of you have seen, the vice president of the German Bishops' Conference uh, Bishop Boda said some very strange things just late last week. He said, and I quote, Christ, he said, became a human being, not a man. For us, Christ became a human being and not a man, is what he said. That's Franz Joseph Bode, who's actually the vice president of the German Bishops' Conference. We're going to talk about that, the seeming schism in the German church, and lots more. Stay tuned. <music> Martin, welcome to the John Henry Weston Show. Thank you for having me. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Martin, you hail from Germany. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, about how recently you were in Germany, and uh, I know that you had experience writing already, uh, doing Catholic journalism in Germany, but tell us a little bit about yourself first. Yeah, as you said, I was born and raised in Germany. Then I went to school in Austria uh, for, at university and studied theology. And uh, I started writing uh, at the end of high school. I've been writing ever since for German Catholic publications, uh, like on and off, uh, freelance stuff and I came to America because of my wife who is a citizen and uh, I've been working for LifeSite News for, for a little while yeah I've been last in Germany f uh, maybe like seven eight months ago so last year in the summer beautiful so you're very familiar with the German church up until uh, just last year, and you've been here. You've still been following it very closely. So you have an inside look on this like very few people do. Now, this has been going on in the German church for some time. Um, you know, the, the push from, as I said, the vice president of German Bishops Conference, talking about here Christ became, uh, came as a human being, not a man, with an obvious connotation or obvious push for women's ordination. In fact, uh, Bishop Boda already said some time ago that the as they were going into the synodal pathway or synodal way, they were talking about women deacons already. So tell us a little bit about uh, Bishop Boda himself, the German church vis-a-vis -vis this push and the push for all sort of modernist things. Right, yeah. As you said, he's the vice president of the Bishops' Conference. So we have Cardinal Marx, who's the president, and then Bode is the vice president, has been for, I think, two years now. And uh, he's, but he's been a bishop for 25 years, uh, the Bishop of Osnabrück. And then first within the Bishops' Conference, he was uh, responsible for youth because he was the youngest bishop in Germany. Uh, but then recently, his focus in the context of the Synodal Path has shifted to the role of women in the church. And he was heading the preparatory commission for the Synodal Path on women in the church. And he's also now in the, 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 the Synodal, Synodal Path has, a, has four forums that discuss various topics. And he is, again, in the group that will focus on women. And, right. yeah, as you said, he, uh, he said Christ became a human being, not a man. And, yes, Christ did become a human being, but as a man. So he's obviously, obviously male and not female. And to say that he did not become a man is kind of 
weird. And as you already yeah. said, to it's to be read or seen in the context of uh, female ordination. He has before pushed definitely for the female diaconate, but also shown uh, his openness to uh, the female priesthood, as have other German bishops. For example, um, Bishop Overbeck of Essen has said that, um, I think he's of Essen, he might be of Münster, uh, he has said that you can't make the access to the priesthood dependent on uh, a Y chromosome, so like on genetics, pretty much. Yeah, Un unbelievable. So these comments are so out of touch. It, we saw one bishop in the United States and, and met other clergy, for, for instance, but one bishop very publicly confront uh, Bishop Boda in his statement. It was a uh, bishop from Texas, Bishop Strickland. And he said, and I'll quote it for you, he said, Bishop Boda, I respectfully call you as one bishop to another to return to the truth of the deposit of faith And he said, for your salvation and for the good of the church. Your statement, he continued, that Christ became a human being but not a man is ridiculous and heretical. Now, those are very strong words, public words from one bishop to another, because it's so out of touch with Catholicism, with the faith that's been professed for 2,000 years. Yeah, it's very unusual. I don't think I've ever seen that one bishop public, publicly calls out another and calls him or his statement heretical. So it's really, it's, it's interesting. But as far as I know, he's the only bishop who said that. But as you said, other clergy members and theologians have said the same thing. So, yeah. Yes, and it's phenomenal that it's also coming from the president of the Bishops' Conference uh, in Germany. So the president, as you mentioned, is Reinhard Marx, and Marx himself has talked about this openness to women deacons, um, and yet it's not only women deacons. What I'd like to focus on now is your article that you did at LifeSite News, which really did a, a very good layout of what is this synodal path of where it's going, and really the heretical anti-Catholic proposals it's making. It seems to make all of the same anti-Catholic proposals that the secular world is trying to force the Catholic Church to go into. Yeah, so um, there's uh, the synodal path has a long history, but the, the German Bishops' Conference decided to embark on the synodal path only in 2019, And then right after that, they uh, decided to have four different study groups to prepare and focus like on four uh, important subjects in their opinion. And those four subjects are, number one, power and the abuse of power among clerics, then uh, the role of women in the church, sexual morality and priestly lifestyle. And you can already gather that those are really the hot button issues when you talk about celibacy, women's ordination, And then the sexual morality stuff, uh, homosexuality and that kind of thing, blessing, blessings of homosexual unions. So, yeah, th there were four uh, groups and those four groups prepared a working document as the basis of discussion for the actual synodal path, where we, which we then had the first assembly of uh, just a week ago, last weekend, it concluded. And the second assembly will be later this year. And in those uh, four documents, there's all kinds of interesting and weird and bad stuff. So, for example, if you look only at the sexual morality document, uh, it actually, uh, you know, opens the door to, to the use of contraception, to masturbation and to uh, homosexuality as a as good and accepted practice. 
So yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff in there, but those three things, in my opinion, are the most important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. They're the ones that the world has been pushing. I mean, right since, you know, uh, well, it, it took a real, it really took off in the, in the 60s, but the push to get the church to allow for contraception or for antinatalist policy has been longstanding forever. But especially with the advent of the condom and the pill, that push became, it hit a sort of a fevered pitch. And it, the church has been resisting this whole time and yet now they want to cave. I mean, it's unbelievable. Let's go into the first of those issues of contraception and tell us a little bit about what they said. Yeah, so I have the document right in front of me and they say um, not every sexual act has to be open to procreation, to the creation of life, for example. And they say you can't plan your family with the help of artificial means, obviously referring to contraception there, even though they don't use the technical term. Uh, yeah, so that's just contraception. And what I did in the article was just contrast what the document says with what the catechism plainly states. And there's a huge discrepancy where, you know, the catechism says one thing and then the documents, the working documents in preparation of the synodal path say something that's completely different from that. Exactly. And I think that's a really important aspect of what we do at LifeSite News all the time. We always try and provide the truth of the faith in in the face of such heretical things that come out. There's unfortunately been a plethora of coverage and, and needed coverage of the heresies that different bishops and church leaders and sometimes even the Pope go into. And so we have to provide the truth of the faith. And that's why I so appreciated your article because it laid out the truth from the catechism. You quoted the parts that it quotes from Humanae Vitae that talk about the inseparable connection established by God, which man on his own initiative may not break between the unitive significance and the procreative significance, which are both inherent to the marriage act. So it is, uh, it's really unbelievable. Let's go on to the next of those issues that is covered or promoted or, or uh, they show an opening to in the synodal path that really confronts the church's teaching that you mentioned in your article. Yeah, the next one is masturbation. Again, the document doesn't use the term, but it says uh, the joyful experience of your own body uh, could be a responsible use of your own sexuality. And then they use the English term self-sex there. And then it's pretty obvious that they're talking about uh, masturbation here. And again, masturbation, according to the catechism, is a completely different thing than what they talk about in here. So <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> they're allowing for, quote-unquote, self-sex. And yet the catechism says, and I'll quote it, both the magisterium of the church, in the course of a constant tradition and the moral sense of the faithful, have been in no doubt and have firmly maintained that masturbation is an intrinsically and gravely disordered action. The Catechism adds, the deliberate use of the sexual faculty for whatever reason outside of marriage is essentially contrary to its purpose. So again, a complete and utter contradiction. What's the next issue? Yeah, the last issue in here is that of homosexual acts. And they say in here that there are some positive values that come with a homosexual relationship. They mention specifically friendship, reliability, fidelity or loyalty, and uh, that you care for the other person uh, as, as values that are there. So they want to, um, in a different spot in the document, they talk about overcoming the language of homosexual acts being intrinsically evil. 
which again is the language of the catechism that they want to overcome in in this document. Yeah. Well, let's let's break that apart a little because I think first of all, I think that is so disingenuous. They're they're foisting a straw man on people because all those values that they talked about inherent to uh, homosexual relationships of of friendship and reliability and loyalty and support in life. Um, <laughs> a none of those are exclusive to sexual relationships and. The church has always been in favor of those things in good and holy friendships. Yes, in marriages as well, but in good and holy friendships, all of those can can take place. So they're foisting a straw man when the church is only against the homosexual acts themselves. And yet the document wants to get away from that. Um, it, it's unbelievable. So the the church, uh, as as you know very well, comes at this issue from a perspective of love. God made us, God made our bodies. He knows that this behavior, these homosexual acts, are so harmful for the human body and for the human soul. Doctors will tell you, studies, numerous studies are there to show us the grave harm these acts cause to the body, while at the same time, heterosexual monogamous relationship between a husband and wife united for life is healthy for the body. These homosexual acts and acts of promiscuity and all those other sexual acts with the church opposes are actually harmful for the body. And so here we are, uh, or the church is, uh, engaging in this battle to actually love men and women who have same-sex attraction enough to tell them that this behavior is harmful for their bodies and for their souls. And yet, despite this, despite the fact that this is so clear in Catholic teaching, this is being proposed not only in this document, actually, by, as we said, the vice president of the German Bishops' Conference, but also the president of the German Bishops' Conference. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, Cardinal Marx had also spoken of the possibility of blessing homosexual couples. Uh, yeah, I mean, he hasn't gone into as much, as much detail as this document does in his ar- argumentation, but, um, I mean, it's still... He, he's open to that, so it's, it's it's sad to see that both the president and the vice president and a bunch of other bishops and a bunch of Catholic laity uh, have that opinion when it should be pretty obvious what the church teaching is and how, how it makes sense. I mean, it's, it's not a difficult teaching that you hate the sin but love the sinner and that the compassionate response to somebody who is engaged in homosexuality would be to tell him what he's doing is wrong and why it is wrong and what would be better for that person. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's it's really quite something that here is the church. You mentioned the president of the bishops' conference, the vice president, and, and many of the bishops, or at least a good number of the bishops in Germany, are all going in this direction, this direction which totally opposes the faith, totally opposes the catechism. It's against everything we've seen before in the church, to which the church has held for since its inception, and before that, even in Judaism, and yet here uh, this is being confronted. Now, this is why the bishops, or many even cardinals, have warned about the Catholic Church in Germany going into schism. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, that's always the, 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 um, the struggle between the German bishops and Rome, is not a new one that that's come up in the last few years. So you could look, for example, at the book called um, The Right Flows into the Tiber, which was looking at the influence of the German bishops specifically, but also of the Dutch and the French and a few others uh, at the Second Vatican Council and how what the Germans wanted was um, 
then presented in Rome, in many ways accepted in Rome. Uh, yeah, so it's not a new struggle, but uh, it's there. It seems to be picking up steam now because the, the claims in those documents are rather bold and the public statements of bishops are very bold in many ways. Absolutely. So Cardinals Brandmüller, Cardinal Müller, uh, Cardinal Wölke have all talked about this possibility of schism. Schism is very... Uh, uh, um, powerful term. It's a break with the church, a formal break with the church. And yet, even such strong talk on the warnings that they're giving, uh, they haven't seemed to shake the uh, German bishops out of this course uh, towards schism. Right. Uh, so this Noda path was uh, inaugurated specifically to be outside of what canon law, so the law, laws of the church right now, um, and compass. So uh, whatever happens in Germany is not recognized by canon law. And that's the intention of the German bishops. So they can't be, you know, reprimanded for anything or whatever. When Cardinal, uh, the, the Canadian Cardinal Willet uh, sent the, uh, sent the letter to the German bishops about uh, the Sonoda path not being a good thing, pretty much. He, he was referring to canon law and the reply, the response of the German bishops was, yeah, it was never our intention to be part of canon law with this. We want to go a new path and have the freedom to, you know, discuss and study and look at issues without being constricted by canon law, you know, if we want to be part of the church. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it harkens back to what Cardinal Marx himself said uh, around the time of the end of the Second Synod on the Family, when they were already going towards giving communion for divorced and remarried Catholics before the Pope seemed to allow it uh, in in the exhortation, but then also in the Acta Apostolicae Sedis. Now, uh, very interestingly, at that time, Marx said, you know, the, the, the German church is not a subsidiary of Rome. So sort of saying that they're going to take their own path, their own way. Um, and yet that would exactly make the church not Catholic, Catholic meaning universal. Yeah, exactly. That's the whole problem. So the confrontation that's needed in Germany um, about a month ago, or last month now, we engaged in something called an Aches Ordinata. About 100 and nearly 150 people came to Germany from all over the world, actually, uh, to stand in silent, prayerful protest, very, steps away only from Cardinal Marx's office, to call the German church back from the edge of schism, specifically to call Cardinal Marx himself out for leading the church in Germany into schism. Uh, what have you seen of that in Germany? What kind of reaction uh, have you seen uh, from there? And uh, what do you think uh, that has done? Yes, yeah, so we had among the faithful Catholic media outlets, usually online, we had good positive reaction. Uh, but then this, the, the church-owned, diocesan-owned media, they usually just took the Catholic news agency in Germany's take on it, which was neutral to negative, and just ran with that on their websites. And then as far as the secular media goes, there was very, very little echo there. So that's a little bit, little bit disappointing. But then the faithful took that lead a little bit. And then at the Senate, at the Synodal Path, the, the assembly, the first assembly that took place in Frankfurt just last week or last weekend, the, uh, we had a bunch of young people, mostly that were uh, praying the rosary in front of the assembly hall. And 
showing showing that there's still you know the, the faith is left in Germany and there are young Catholics who want to defend it too. So that was encouraging to see. That's great. That's great. Now is that is that a frequent occurrence? Has that happened before, or uh, is that something new? Yeah, Alexander Chugo at the press conference at the Archives Ordinata event said the Germans tend to be a little bit lazy, and uh, they talk about you know doing things and they have ideas, but then rarely does that you know translate into action. And here we saw that uh, that you know Germans took the lead, conservative Germans took the lead, and you know did something. It's really not a very conservative thing, at least in Germany, in the German mind, to go out in the street and protest. It's a leftist thing to do. But, I mean, it seems that in our day and age it's necessary, and it's good to see that there's there's people who take the lead and do that, actually, and then give others the opportunity to follow. Because not everybody is, you know, called to be a leader and organizer of these things, but they would participate if these, if these things happen and exist. Absolutely. Wow. Well, that's great. Well, praise God. The Aches Ordinata seems to have uh, sparked something there. Um, so let's go out and talk a little bit about uh, the Church in Germany being so uh, influential in the Vatican. Uh, Cardinal Marx, uh, after, you know, the, there seemed to be a letter given from the Vatican, from uh, the CDF, over to the uh, German bishops to say, no, you can't go down this pathway. Cardinal Marx then went over, met with the Pope and said, nope, everything's fine. No, no red light from the Pope at all. Uh, we can just go forward. What is this incredible power that the German church seems to have uh, over the Pope in, in, in the Vatican? What is all that? Yeah, the German problem seems to be the money that they have. So the German church, as everybody knows, is very, very rich uh, in many ways due to the church tax that they collect. So everybody who is you know, even nominally a Catholic contributes to the church's well-being by being taxed in a certain, at a certain rate. And uh, that money, obviously, by its influence, is just a natural process that happens, whether that be in the church or outside of the church. Uh, there, I mean, there were rumors that the German bishops uh, financed a big part of the Amazon Senate, even. I don't know if that was confirmed or, you know, there's documentation for that, but that's at least a rumor, which seems to be, seems to be true. There's indications for that. So, um, yeah, money buys influence, and that's, that's one of the main reasons the Germans are so influential in the Vatican as well. Yeah. This is, it's rather unbelievable because the, the German church, being one of the most liberal churches in the world, is, as were liberalism infects the church all over the place, losing Catholics left, right, and center. Uh, there was a study done, and in 2018, the German church lost over 200,000 Catholics who actually went through the trouble of renouncing their faith, um, and yet they're still one of the richest churches. How is that? Yeah, again, so it's the church text. So even if you're not going to church or doing anything, not praying or whatever, uh, you know, then you still get taxed unless you declare I'm no longer part of this community called the Catholic Church. So uh, at this point, it's it depends on the various parts of Germany. It's between 8 and 9% of your income tax. So if your income tax every month is like 100 bucks, you would pay an additional 8 or 9 uh, euros to the church as a church tax. That's how the church is uh, sustained. Okay, okay. So, so it doesn't it doesn't I... depend on on anybody's faith. It only depends on the numbers, and that seems also to be a reason why the church in Germany wants to be appealing and open to you know every kind of sinful situation. You know whether that be homosexuality 
or masturbation or contraception, and a lot of Germans are obviously using contraception, uh, as, as long as they feel welcome, they obviously are going to pay their taxes bill. And that seems to be a big part of the, of the reasoning that's going on. It seems to be actually killing the true faith, but helping this false faith uh, of theirs, which gets the money. Because what's actually happening, uh, much to uh, the consternation of many in Rome, and to anybody who learns about it, they seem incredulous about it, because what's happening is faithful Catholics are the ones punished, whereas, so for instance, uh, Cardinal Marx will have no problem admitting to Holy Communion and the rest of the sacraments any public sinner— politician, for instance, who supports abortion or homosexuality or anything like that. And yet, at the same time, a Catholic who lives the faith, loves the faith, would die for the faith, but feels that because the German bishops are so abusing the monies that they're being given and abusing it in Rome to disfigure the faith, says, nope, I don't want to pay that church tax anymore. I can't in conscience fund this insanity, which is so harming the church. That person, because of cutting off his funds, is then stripped of the sacraments, not given a communion, access to confession or marriages or anything like that. Whereas the the pro-abortion Catholic politician, oh, absolutely, the sacraments, as long as you're paying. Yeah, it's an absurd situation. And it's not even just that the person is not supporting the church, because the person who leaves the church and is still faithful leaves the, you know, the official church, uh, church tax communities, is what I'm saying that might still be a faithful Catholic who would support the church in other ways and might even give more money to the church in other ways, like supporting his local parish or his local monastery or some faithful Catholic organization, whatever the case may be. So it's it's really unfair, and everybody sees that, you know, who, who, uses, their, who uses their logic, that this is just an unfair and absurd situation that is taking place in Germany right now. Unbelievable. And has been, has been As... taking place for many, many decades. Yeah. Well, as a German, as someone f- from this great land, I'm, I'm partially from that land myself, at least my ancestors were, there's a great, a great tradition of Catholicism in Germany, a, a tradition of saints. Um, and yet, for the past sort of 50 years, we've seen this unbelievable takeover. What's your prayer? What's your hope for German Catholicism in, in the next uh, few decades? Yeah, I mean, obviously that should change. There's still a lot of, a lot of, um, the foundation is still there in many respects. So I remember growing up, we went to mass about 50 kilometers away because it was a Latin mass. And that was a Marian pilgrimage site, pretty important in the area. And every Sunday from May to All Saints Day in November, you would see pilgrimage groups walking to that, to that shrine along the way that we drove. Or, you know, you still have Sundays, uh, the stores are closed and on, on important holidays like uh, Corpus Christi and, you know, the Ascension stores are closed. It's a day off for everybody. So the cultural component is still there. We have beautiful churches, even though some of them are being closed. That's true. Uh, yeah. Again, the basis is there, but then the faith is kind of lacking in many ways. Whereas in this country, in, in America, you have kind of the opposite. You have a lot of vibrant vibrant uh, Catholic communities, but then the cultural situation is very, very different. I mean, stores are open on Sunday and the churches in many areas are not that good looking and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can get that faith that in many other parts of the world is still there back to Germany. 
And there's there are lots of organizations. I mean, we can't just say it's all bad in Germany. There are lots of organizations that are really doing good work and that have faithful Catholics, uh, you know, participating. We have a lot of people who go to adoration and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, so we have to start somewhere. And then just with the grace of God, you know, things will work out. Amen. Well, let's enlist uh, the rest of our viewers in praying also for the church in Germany. Pray for a resurrection of the true faith in Germany. Pray that they, uh, you know, get out of the schism that they seem to be in right now and uh, keep the faith. Martin, thank you for being with us on the John Henry Weston Show. Thank you. And God bless you all. We'll see you next time.